Goldfinger. He's the man, the man with the Midas touch. A spider's touch. Such a cold finger. Welcome, everybody. Hope you enjoyed that. If you didn't, I'm sorry. I haven't played that in quite a long time. So, giving you some kind of intro to this uh, that isn't too uh, bland, but uh, I don't know. I'm gonna, I don't know if I'm going to keep that up or I'm just going to go right into it. But uh, my Goldfinger review. I love it. I love it. Recently watched Goldfinger. One of my favorite, if not my favorite Bond, of the, possibly the whole series. Just be, because it's got all the tropes in it, man. It's got Q's, it's got Q's base, um, or where he go in, where he goes in. It's like the underground base there. He's seeing all the gadgets. Aston Martin, the Aston Martin makes an appearance. I believe it's the first appearance of it. Uh, it's fantastic. You have the uh, eccentric or uh, big henchman, odd job, with his uh, gimmicky hat that he throws and can uh, crack heads with. Um, you have you have pussy galore. <laughs> you have the crazy Bond uh, girl name. I mean, all the tropes. Uh, almost, I. Almost all. I might be missing one of the tropes. But, uh, yeah, I'm just looking at, uh, I'm looking at the IMDb here. And, um, Honor Blackman, I think she just recently passed, so rest in peace, rest in peace, Honor. Uh, she was something. And, uh, definitely a good presence in this movie. Um, beautiful and tough. And uh, and she emanates it, and it's good. I mean, uh, I'm looking at the uh, the guy that plays uh, er Eric, Eric, either Eric or Eric. I think it's Eric Goldfinger by Gert Frobe. Um, he's fantastic villain it villain in it. You know, the thing about him is that he seems he seemed a very realistic kind of portrayal whereas he doesn't have he doesn't overplay it but yet he does with this with this with this villain like it's you believe it you believe um this villain exists even though his premise is pretty over the top but he brings a certain realness to the role of this villain that it's like yeah i could see that guy definitely existing um kind of a gambler uh you see somebody like this uh you know maybe in florida messing around in the casinos <laughs> you know that just got let it all get to his head a little too much and uh yeah it's fantastic um every everybody um uh you know i love the Uh, the rotating set of the villain's uh, casino. Well, not casino. Like it's like a wooden set, but it has a huge screen, and then the uh, control bar boards kind of rotate and everything. It's really cool. Um, you can tell. You can tell they thought it out really well. Um, just so you know, they have a new actor as uh, Felix. Uh, Felix Le uh, Leiter or Leiter, I believe that's how it's pronounced. Sea uh, Slender. I, I'm probably mispronouncing the hell out of all these names, <laughs> but yeah, um, it's fantastic. I always enjoy watching it. The music is on par. John Barry, just in this one, I really felt like the music came together, where they didn't overplay the Bond theme. You know, they didn't overdo it. 
Um, they just they knew how where to place everything. And this is like, to me, this is like the beginning of the formula for a lot of the bonds. And I think that's why it stands out so much. Uh, big over the top villain, the big uh, layer. Now, I mean, they had been, had some layers layer sets before this, um, but the big screens, the big screen and the layer. I mean, it's just all there. Uh, Bert Kowak, Kowak, I think Bert Kowak. As Mr. Lang makes an appearance from Kato from uh, uh, the Pink Panther. And, uh, yeah, it's just, it's fantastic. It's fantastic. It, it keeps you watching. There's not a lot of where you're kind of like, you know, wandering, your mind's wandering. There's not a lot of dead uh, or slowness to it. It, it kind of briskly keeps its pace. And um, here's a little bit of trivia. Um Though he had been considered for, but never appeared in a Bond movie, Sir Michael Caine was the first person to hear. Was the first person to hear the completed score for this movie. Uh, after he and roommate Terence Stamp, whom I just heard on NPR being interviewed, uh, were ejected from their apartment. <laughs> <laughs> that's a that's a story unto itself. Well, what where the hell are we gonna live, Terrence? Uh let's see. Kane asked friend John Barry if he could use the spare bedroom at Barry's London residence. That's this is fantastic. <laughs> I love this little background information. Hold on. Um Kane asked uh friend John Barry if he could use the spare bedroom at Barry Barry's London residence. As they were good friends, Barry agreed, and so for several months, Kane crashed with Barry and was there the sleepless night he completed his iconic store. <laughs> He's like hanging out on the couch, <laughs> trying to get some Z's. Uh, you mind if I crash here? And <laughs> I, uh, I, I can't wait to sleep. I'm going to sleep so good on this couch. <laughs> and then Barry's just got like... And, it, and he's just like, what the hell? Uh, at breakfast the following morning, Barry played his composition for Kane. The first time he'd performed it for anybody. Uh, that's hilarious. I mean, it just tells you how down to earth. And it's like everybody goes through this. Like, It reminds me when I lived in uh, Burbank, you know, and, and just sleeping on the, you know, on the floor. You know, and uh, but uh, and how close things got to oh shoot well, you know, uh, getting uh, says here yeah, him and Terrence Stamp were ejected from their apartment. It makes it sound like somebody hit the button and they ejected them through the roof. <laughs> somebody hit the eject button on Kane and Stamp. <laughs> They'll never make it, you know. <laughs> Get those bums out of here! <laughs> I'm just thinking of the of the landlord. Oh, it's Kane and Stamp again. Oh gosh, these bums. When are they ever gonna get a life and get a real job? Work at McDonald's? <laughs> oh gosh. When Dame Shirley Bassey recorded the theme song, she was singing as the opening credits were running on a screen in front of her. So that could match the vocals. When she hit the f her final high note, the titles kept running, and she was forced to hold the note until she almost passed out. Wow. That's incredible. This echoes the experience of Tom Jones when recording Thunderball. Ah, uh, of course, which is the next one coming up, the 1965 theme. She was told a story that only she managed to hold the note after a restic restricting bustier what she was wearing. And I, and I probably mispronounced that. Bust, it's spelled B-U-S-T-I-E-R. Bustier. But I, I said it very French. Bustier. She said that she told a story that only she managed to hold the note. 
After removing or restricting Bustier, Bustier she was wearing. Uh, first appearance of a laser beam and of a freaking laser beam in a 007 movie. In the original script, the scene had spinning buzzsaw, as in the novel, until it was decided that such an image had become commonplace and unoriginal. Yeah, totally. I get it. See, this is fascinating. And that scene where, uh, you know, he's got his legs open and the laser goes, hits the floor there, uh, that scene had been shown many times uh, when they promoted the Bond, you know, all... All the Roger Moore, I think up to, probably up to View to a Kill at the time. I remember in the 80s, probably late 80s, seeing the commercial for, uh, they would mail you a Bond movie on VHS. And they kept showing that part of Connery going, you expect me to talk? No, Mr. Bond, I expect you to die. And I remember just cracking up every time they showed that part. And it's like, you know, it's, it's, that is, that is the scene. That is the scene from a Bond movie. And, and this one, um, this movie, the movie was the fastest gross grossing movie in movie history when it was released and was entered into the book of world records. Wow. Yeah, because the momentum from the last two bonds, probably. It's like it would, they're, each one was getting better. Dr. No was good, and then uh, From Russia was love, with Love was better. Uh, Aston Martin was instantly reluctant to part with two of their cards for the production. The producers had to pay for the Aston Martin, but after the success of the movie, both at the box office and for the company... They never had to spend money on a car again. Wow. It's fantastic. So, again, there's a lot here. There's a lot here. Wow, there's a whole lot of trivia. It's fantastic. Um, I'm going to give you my my two cents on it. And, uh, again, this Bond collection, this uh, the Sean Connery... Uh, Volume one and two, here it's, it's fantastic. I mean, it's I got it for ten bucks at Walmart. I mean, you get three movies, and they've been restored, and they have commentary on them. It's fantastic. Now I could have gotten the Ultimate Bond collection and just uh, go full hog and get the uh, get the whole big box set, but I'm like I I'm I'm running out of room, guys. I don't I have way too many movies on DVD. I got some I should get, probably get rid of, and it's not easy. They're like comic books. It's like hard to get rid of my movies. Um, I'm a big media collector. And these are, you get three in one case. And you could take it with you. So if I want to go up, up to the Up North studio, I could take it with me and watch, watch them, you know, for a little inspiration and what have you. Great stuff here. Um, what a deal. And I got volume two of the Roger Moore one on the way, hopefully soon. And uh, I, I just I just love it. I love Goldfinger. I think the opening credits are fantastic. Um, I'm just going to tell you, this is a 10 out of 10 Bond movie for me, kids. Uh, and uh, yeah, Shirley Bassey knocks it out of the park. How they integrate that music throughout the, the film is awesome, too. Um, with some of the chase scenes, and it's really strong. It's directed by Guy Hamilton, which is one of the best Bond directors, I believe. And uh, it all comes together. I mean, the the whole lead up to Fort Knox, and um, just the whole showdown with him and Odd Job. The suspense in it is great. Again, they cut the music at the end where it's just he's facing him down so it, it's suspenseful there's a countdown clock I mean see that's what's cool whenever you have a countdown clock it's fantastic so I mean that that, that goes hand in hand with uh, D&D playing Dungeons and Dragons you gotta have a countdown clock once in a while maybe not every single time but it heightens that suspense 
and it's fantastic. I really love it. And it, it, this movie always picks me up and, and transports me to that world. And uh, Connery's on the ball. He looks great in the in the, in the, the gray uh, Bond suit. Wears it perfectly. And um, the little gadgets he's got. I think he yeah he's got the tracker in this one. And he uses the track uh, uh, people. Uh, I think it was uh, yeah gold members car. And gold members car or gold member <laughs> tells you Austin Powers how much. <laughs> I mean, there's definitely a lot of Austin Powers stuff in this, and uh, just like the last one, but Goldfinger's car. It's uh, he's driving around, and there's gold in it that he gets uh, smelted. He gets smelted into <laughs> smaller pieces of gold, and uh, it's just. It's brilliant. It's brilliant. I love the connection with uh, Cato being in this. Now it's like I always thought uh, either I might have to write it, it write the screenplay of Clouseau and Bond in, in the movie because I think that's a missed opportunity. And uh, that's real fun. Uh, those are fun characters. And I'm trying to think what else about this. Uh, maybe I'll read a little bit more for inspiration here. Let's see here. Let's see here. Sir Sean Connery never traveled to the United States to film this movie. Every scene in which he appeared... Uh, oh, he never traveled to the U.S. for this one. Interesting. Every scene in which he appears to be in the U.S. was filmed at Pinewood Studios outside of London. Uh, this explains why Bond flips a light switch down to discover the golden corpse of Jill. As, Br as British light switches are generally turned on by flicking them down instead of up. <laughs> interesting, interesting. According to director Guy Hamilton, uh, Cease uh, Linder, or Cess uh, Felix, was the only main actor in the Miami sequence who was actually there. Wow. Interesting. Uh, Connery, Gert Frobe, Shirley Eaton, Margaret Nolan, and Austin Wallace, uh, who played Goldfinger's card victim, all filmed their parts while filming started in Britain. When filming started in Britain. With rear projections used. And in the case of Frobe and Wallace, stand-ins used for the long shots. Wow, this is fascinating. Fascinating. Let's see here. So was Connery even acting across from <laughs> from uh, what from Gert? I wonder. Obviously they did. I mean, there's they yeah they played uh, golf together in this movie. Yeah, so there's definitely some scenes where they that you cannot fake. They were in the same place. Let's see, but they, I mean it's just amazing how much they did with the projection. How much that you can get away with? That I mean, they're doing that now a lot more in the Mandalorian, where they'll just shoot a projection in the back screen behind them, and it looks great. Although you know, back then they did that, but it didn't look so. It, it was convincing, we should say, but it definitely gave it kind of a a cheesy niche uh, look that's kind of endearing now. Um, the recreation of the Fort Knox rep repository at Pinewood Studios was incredibly accurate, considering no one involved in this movie had been allowed inside the real location for security reasons. Huh, the set looks so real that a 24-hour guard was placed on the Fort Knox, set, Fort Knox set at Pinewood Studios so that the pilferers would not steal the gold bar props. <laughs> <laughs> a letter to the production from the Fort Knox controller congratulated uh, Ken Adam and his team on the recreation. Uh, Ulrich uh, Goldfinger's 3D model uh, model map used for this his Operation Grand Slam is. <laughs> then there's another thing is that, uh, <laughs> that Mike Myers you know, took from the, uh, you know, and added in Austin Power, the Austin Power series, is when he says, Operation Minus 22. And then he does the parentheses, but this is 
Operation Grand Slam. So there's just so many hallmarks of like this is a Bond movie uh, is now housed in a permanent uh, exhibition at the real Fort Knox. Wow. So the 3D model map used for Operation Grand Slam is now housed as a permanent exhibition at the real Fort Knox. Pussy Galore, Honor of Black Men, uh, introduces herself to James Bond, Sir Sean Connery, who replies, I must be dreaming. The original script had Bond replying, I know you are, but what's your name? <laughs> this was deemed too suggestive and was changed or bleeped in some markets around the world, especially for the country of India. <laughs> Fantastic. And also, did you know, guys, and this isn't off um, of this, but Sean Connery uh, had a brother. I don't know if he's still alive, but his brother, who looks a lot like him, did a version of James Bond in other countries. It's unreal. It's kind of, it's not really, you don't hear about this too often, but it's for real. Look it up. I couldn't believe my jaw dropped when I saw it. It was hilarious. Um, let's see here. This is interesting. Gert Frobe uh, spoke, again, I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing right because they got the two dots over there. Oh, uh, spoke very little English. So British actor. Oh my gosh, I didn't know this. British actor Michael Collins dubbed his voice. So it's not even his voice. Wow. I did not know this. This is unreal. Director Guy Hamilton instructed Frobe to speak his lines in German quickly, which would assist the dubbing. I, I, wow, that's unbelievable. I mean, I never would have caught that. I mean, I, I assume, yeah, some of them, like, oh, these are, uh, you know, they're dubbing some of these, you know, here, and everyone gets dubbed, even Connery sometimes. But reportedly, though, Frobe was speaking English in a few scenes, which reduces the awareness of the dubbing. Wow. So in the trailer, Frobe's own heavily accented voice is heard. When Goldfinger tells James, Choose your next criticism carefully, Mr. Bond. It may be your last. Yeah. Frobe dubbed his own voice in the German dub version of the movie, too. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah, okay. That's, an, that's amazing. This is full of incredible trivia. You got, you got to watch this movie, Goldfinger, if you have not. If you're not a Bond connoisseur, connoisseur, uh, it's 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 probably the best bond you're going to see. It has all the tropes. Definitely the best Connery Connery one in my opinion. Um great escapism. It doesn't feel too long or too short. So it's nicely it's perfectly edited. Um very little I could find wrong here. Very little. Let's see. Ooh, the, yeah, this is an interesting one. Uh, the producers wanted Orson Welles to play Eric Goldfinger, but Welles was too expensive. Makes sense. When Gert, Gert Frobe began arguing over his salary, he wanted 10% from the movie's earnings, earnings uh, prompting the producers to wonder whether Welles would have been cheaper after all. <laughs> he was going for it. He was going for it. Yeah, Orson Welles would have been amazing. But the thing about Orson Welles, it's like he it, it, he's just too identifiable, I think. He would have, I don't think, I mean, he would have done a great job, but this guy is the character. And Orson Welles is always, he always has that, well, this is Orson Welles playing a character a little bit. Um, let's see. As with the first two Bond movies, Ian Fleming visited the set during April 1964. He visited D-Stage at Pinewood Studios where they were filming the UK set of uh, Fontainebleau Hotel Pool Scene, of the Fontainebleau uh, Hotel Pool Scene. 
Sadly, he died a little less than a month before the movie's release in 1964, August 12th. That sucks. I think you got a good gist of it on set, though. That's a good that's a good good memory before you go. Um, Goldfinger wears a yellow or golden item of clothing in virtually every scene. <laughs> in in the one he that he appears not to in which he wears a U.S. Army uh, colonel's uniform, which is perfect because I'm going to tell you something else. Uh, that uh, <laughs> There's a KFC in the background, big time. Uh, you, you, they showed it in a couple scenes in the background, uh, Kentucky Fried Chicken. So I find it funny that his uniform is a colonel's. <laughs> like, they're really, they're really, you know, say, Kentucky. This is Kentucky. Uh, they're really emphasizing that. He... He carries a golden revolver, right? That's for sure. Thus, in the chrono, in the in the chronologic, in the chronologic, and the chronology. Oh boy, I'm sorry, my pronunciation's really off tonight. Of James Bond films, he is the first man with a golden gun. Yes, 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 he is indeed. Let's see. There's just so much good stuff. Like I said, I could go on. I could go on and on about all much all the trivia they have. You know, it's fantastic. Um, I'm trying to think what else I liked. Uh, da, da, da. Yeah, uh, the women are gorgeous in this. Yeah, the pussy galore scene is <laughs> so funny. I mean, even for back then, I'm like, I can't believe they named her Pussy Galore. I can't. It's. Uh... <laughs> It, it's just incredible. And uh, this movie looks great, remastered. Uh, listen to it with a stereo uh, and, and, and a good, you know, you might have, sometimes the volume on the dialogue, though, was a little low. Uh, so you have to turn up the dialogue parts a bit. But the, when the music kicks in, it's at its best. It's John Barry kicking ass. Um, let's see. The role of Ajab was the first screen role for Japanese-American weightlifter and professional wrestler Harold Sakata. It was much a success that it started a second career in movies, uh, television, and commercials. For some of these appearances, he would be billed Harold Ajab Sakata. <laughs> he also appeared in uh, The Poppy is Also a Flower, which is based on Ian Fleming's story and directed by Bond director. Terrence Young. Uh, that's another great uh, Bond director, Terrence Young. Uh, Gert, Frobe, Gert, Gert Frobe once said of his role as Goldfinger, I am a big man and I have a laugh too much my size. The ridiculous thing is that since I played Goldfinger in the James Bond film, there are some people who still insist on me had seen me as a cold, ruthless villain, a man without laughs. Uh, after attending the premiere in Rome, uh, Federico, Federico Fellini was asked by a journalist what he thought of the movie. His enthusiastic answer was, Chiesti, uh, forgive my Spanish pronunciation, Chiesti sono i film che fanno andare. Avanti il, cin il cinema. This is one of those films that makes cinema carry on. I definitely agree. I definitely agree. Uh, it's it's got great set pieces. The music's fantastic. Uh, the women are beautiful, and just everything is in its perfect place in this. Uh, first Bond movie to be shown in the U.S. On, oh, this is the first Bond movie to be shown on U.S. commercial television on Sunday, September 17th, 1972. I earning the highest Nielsen ratings for a single movie on television up to that time. 49% of the nation's viewers turned in that night, and ABC, which showed the movie, retained the exclusive commercial U.S. television rights to the Bond film series for the next 28 years. Wow. 
it's neat. It's neat. You really, it really kind of paints a picture of everything at the time here. Let's see. Steven Spielberg cites this as his personal favorite of all the Bond movies and even owns an Aston Martin DB5 due to, the, due to the impact this movie had on him. I totally get it. There's a great scene where Oddjob throws his hat and it felt very Spielbergian because when he threw it at the statue, the head falls off. But the camera rolls forward into the shot and it just it's such a neat... There's something about the camera moving forward on the statue that really emphasizes it and it just brings it to life. And then you cut back to Bond in front of the Aston, Aston Martin and Goldfinger. And like, it's just such an, a Bond moment. It's like they captured the perfect aesthetic right there. Um, <laughs> Worried studio executives from United Artists considered changing the name of Pussy Galore to Kitty Galore. The name Pussy Galore was not included on any trading cards during the movie's original release, as they are aimed at youth. <laughs> However, later released cards, such as those uh, as part of the 007 Spy Files, uh, in 2002, do specialize do special specify the name Pussy Galore. So, Kitty Galore, yeah. The trading cards. I wonder if anyone's got those trading trading cards. I've never heard of them till now. I didn't know they were doing that back then. That's great. Um, yeah, there's a lot more cool, interesting trivia. I, you know, look up IMDb Goldfinger under trivia. There's just so much great stuff here. Um, during promotion, Honor Blackman took delight in embarrassing interviewers by repeatedly repeatedly mentioning her character's name. <laughs> what a great sport she is. Now, Honor Blackman... Um, she took a piss on uh, of Con uh, 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 on Connery saying that uh, something like she said something. Why did there's something with Connery saying why did he take it so seriously? The, the knighted being knighted because he's Scottish, and uh, she she kind of ragged on him a little bit, saying he, saying he's like you know he's just taking it a little bit too serious. Come on. <laughs> yeah, let me see. Let me look that up. That was pretty funny, I thought. Let's see. Honor Blackman. Um, Sean Connery. Yeah, here it is. Honor Blackman takes aim at Sean Connery over knighthood. Yeah. Mm. It says, uh, it's on the, it says express.co.uk. Legendary Bond girl Honor Blackman has taken a swipe at her former co-star. Uh, the headline is Honor Black. Honor Blackman takes aim at Sean Connery over knighthood. Um, takes takes a swipe at a takes a takes a swipe at her former co-star Sir Sean Connery for accepting a knighthood and backing Scottish independence while living abroad. Mm-hmm. The actress who played uh, Galore in 64 uh, once turned down the offer to be appointed as commander of the most excellent order of the British Empire. Wow. That's pretty incredible. I didn't even know such an order existed. The commander of the most excellent order of the British Empire, CBE. So she said, now she admits why she's baffled why her former on-screen colleague accepted his, on, the, his honor from the British establishment in 2000 while he lives overseas. Blackman tells Daily Mail newspaper, I, 
I think uh, they were quite shocked when I declined. But since I'm a Republican, I thought it would be somewhat hypocritical to pop up uh, to pop up to Buckingham Palace. Not like Sean, who accepts a knighthood but never comes here. <laughs> and supported a yes vote in the Scottish independence referendum. But I don't think he thinks deeply about politics. <laughs> she took a, took a little shot at him. But, uh, yeah, it's, you know. I mean, she rests in peace. It's a sad, uh, you know, she passed away a little while ago. Um, I think maybe a couple years, maybe less than that. Might have been last year. Um... Trying to look for the juicy stuff, some good stuff here. The scenes of people around Fort Knox passing out from being gassed were shot using the same group of soldiers moving to different locations. Oh, yeah, that, that was pretty funny. When everyone's getting gassed at Fort Knox, the soldiers were, they're passing out. It's pretty cheesy, pretty funny. Because it's so instantaneous. Like, it doesn't. The gas, it's like it just. I don't think it would go down like that, where it's just that fast. The gas would act that everybody just falls to the ground. Like I think some people would, and others would kind of. It would be slower, you know, reacting because you have the open air uh, that they're being gassed. It's not like they're in an enclosed place, like in a room or anything. So it's funny when it happens when they all get knocked out with this gas and, and outside. I could be wrong, but it seemed pretty silly and cartoonish. Uh, so I guess that's maybe a little critique of it. Uh, yeah, I mean, I would say this is a 9 or 10, but for me, I, I give it a 10. Uh, let's see. The original end, end title credit sequence. Uh, ed, the original end title credits, which featured the famous James Bond will return in teaser the next movie advertised was on Her Majesty's Secret Service in 1969. However, when the producers began pre-production, they were unable to secure the Swiss locations needed for the movie and decided to make Thunderball instead. Okay, interesting. The untitled teaser was later changed to advertise Thunderball. And Secret Service got pushed to 69, whereas after Thunderball, it was, I believe, the next one was You Only Live Twice. Yeah. Yeah, here we go. During the Fort Knox fight, the clock of the bomb was originally intended to stop at the time of uh, zero 03. This was great. I love this part. Hold on. But then the producers declined to stop it at Bond's ID number, zero, uh, zero 007, which was beautiful. I loved it. I love that visual. <laughs> Bond's subsequent dialogue still, refer still refers to three more ticks. <laughs> that was so perfect. I love that. Yeah, again, it's so it's just like if you if you play D and D, if you're a dungeon master, uh, which I doubt there's anybody that DMs listening to this podcast, but it's possible. Always think about that ticking clock. What's the time crunch? And you putting that in your adventures, it just adds so much more suspense. Let's see. Uh. Due to the popularity and success of this movie, its spy car, the Aston Martin DB5, the vehicle gained uh, the nickname uh, the most famous car in the world. Sales of the Aston Martin DB5 increased by 50% after the release of the movie. The Bond movie, The Spy Who Loved Me, featured the Lotus Spirit. The sales also increased for that car after the movie premiered. 
yeah, and the one spy, the spy who loved me was the sub submarine car, the white lotus that go that went into the water underwater, which is fantastic. But yeah, I mean this that's and the car looks awesome. I mean the car looks really cool. It's got the rotating uh plates for each country in the front. Um I I was when I was watching that I'm like I none of the plates seem like US plates. But it may, maybe it was different back then. But yeah, it was so cool seeing that movie cuz the gray car, the gray uh, Aston Martin matches his suit too. There's just so much great visual stuff going on. That's such a nice aesthetic that, you know, the cinematographer and the uh, director, Guy Hamilton, are just on point here. Producers Harry Saltzman and Albert R. Broccoli were determined uh, to get Honor Blackman for the part of Pussy Galore, and they had the actress, the actress's ability to perform judo written into the script. Yeah, there's some good judo judo throws going on. Some hip tosses in this. Equipment and gadgetry was developed for the Aston Martin car, which was not used in the finished movie. This included front and back overriders for ramming other vehicles. Uh, yeah, there's a part in the movie where the, uh, uh, the side tires, the spikes rotating spikes pop out of it and pop the tires of this of uh, uh, this girl in the movie that gets uh, one of the things I want to tell you before we go on with this that was strong in the story of this film was that one of the Bond girls or one of the girls that he seduces he he is, is t talking to her later on in the woods or something. There's a big car chase, and oh, this this is what it is. The girl that he convinced to help him, and near the beginning of the movie, and tell him information about Goldfinger, she gets painted gold. <laughs> she gets painted gold, <laughs> and he 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 feels bad, but then he runs into her, her sister, and. He, they, they, and he, he, you know, after she follows him, and, or she tries to take a shot at him, but she was trying to shoot Goldfinger. They, they have a talk, and so they kind of, they don't uh, hook up or anything. They just, she, uh, you know, they start to have a mutual agreement to go after Goldfinger. She gets killed as well. So not only does her sister die, but the, both sisters die. It's like if that was like the only two girls in the in the bloodline of that family, they're gone. <laughs> it was kind of it hits it hits with like a heaviness, like Goldfinger killed the the original girl that was working with them and her sister too. So it it leaves like a e that sucks, yeah heaviness to it. So I think that helps in the movie kind of give it a grounding. Like, ooh, like you really get in Bond's corner because of that. Like, Goldfinger's not a good guy at all or to be messed with, you know. Um, so I'll go back into the quote. Equipment and gadgetry was developed for the Aston Martin car, which was not used in the finished movie. This included front and back overriders for ramming other vehicles. Uh, a weapons tray under the driver's seat. A headlights chamber containing triple spike nail clusters for firing at enemies a radio telephone inside the driver's doors d driver's door uh, paneling and a thermos built with a built-in hand grenade i wish i had that when i was going to school uh, odd job uh, never speaks especially grade school especially uh odd never speaks in this movie his only his only dialogue is aha yep on the golf course to Oz when ordering men to uh, pick up Tilly after she is hit with his hat. That's uh, that's that's the girl's sister there. Uh, a grunt when he hands Bond a gas mask at the back of the enemy of the army truck, and his and his scream at the conclusion. Oh, spoilers right here. Spoilers at the conclusion of the fight with Bond. 
the source novel explains he is unable to speak due, it, due to a cleft, cleft palate. Okay. i got to go back and read these books. The only Bond book I've read is Casino Royale, I believe. So, yeah, i gotta, I got to start listening either on Audible or start reading the books. There's a great part where Bond finishes odd job. He, he slides on the floor and he uses the the wiring to electrocute the fence. Of course the old electrocute defense move <laughs> which electrocutes Oddjob's hat and kills him. But it's such a good the, the fight scene's really suspenseful. I really enjoyed that. Because again, no music, just sound, the, just the set sound of the bomb. Uh, and the, the big thing is that they're going to uh, detonate a bond to make the gold radioactive so Goldfinger's gold supply becomes the you know, the most needed gold supply in the country or or in the world which is kind of a neat play on it like it's a good twist uh, you would think oh he's just going to try to rob Fort Knox it's like no he's, he's like he's going to make it radioactive so his becomes the most valuable gold that's, that's, an, that's a good one it makes sense Um, the exchange between Bond and his caddy about Goldfinger's golf ball uh, if that's an original ball I'm Arnold Palmer had the caddy standing on the ball in the novel this switch so that Bond hit the ball for the movie So, as producer Harry Saltzman thought it would give Bond more of a cheeky image yeah definitely definitely it definitely works. It definitely gives some more of a cheeky, cheeky image where he, he likes to trick or, trick people a little bit here and there for his own benefit. Yeah, first move. That, here, I, here I go talking about the tropes. Um, first movie to feature a title song that plays over the opening credits. From Russia with Love... Uh, 1963 had a title song but it played over the closing credits very true I definitely noticed that oh yeah Shirley Bassey comes back and returns to cover Diamonds Are Forever opening song and Moonraker Goldfinger though was the, was the first James Bond title to crack the Billboard Top 10 Peaking at number 8, February 65. Yeah, this I thought I thought this was funny. The uh, Pussy Glore has a has a, a bunch of girls working for her that they're pilots but in their these black uniforms, black and white uniforms and they have like a the flying circus. It's their flying circus trope trope or troop and uh it kind of felt like they were from a different movie or like what is that all about like they're all uniformed and it felt like that was like a story within a story here uh, so it says here uh, the pilots were only allowed to fly above 300 oh, 3,000 feet director Guy Hamilton recalled this was hopeless so they they flew at about 500 feet and the military went absolutely ape Ah, uh, so yeah, here's the flying circus gas of soldiers. Yeah. There's just so much stuff. But I think I'm going to wrap it up because I do, I want to keep these somewhat short. Um, this whole thing was inspired not only by the the TV, November TV. Thanksgiving Days of Bond um, uh, but also by there's a good um, I don't know if they're around anymore but they, I wish I could remember the names but these guys these two podcasters did a, a great like way better way better than I uh, uh, covering of all the Bond well a lot of the Bond movies 
the Sean Connery ones and the Roger Moore ones especially. And um, they're just really good, awesome Bond fans. And they go back and forth about it. And they're really... I, if I can find... If I can find... Uh, like, they used to do, like, shots. Like, they talk about Marvel movies, too. But this was, like, we're talking, like, early 2000s, mid-2000s. They would talk about uh, this. But, that, that, unfortunately, they pod-faded. Faded. But I wish I could remember their names and the name of their of their um, podcast. I'll see if I can find it. I'll, I'll leave it. I'll put it up on the list and, or on, I'll put a link up where you can find them, but they're great to listen to. So I'm going to, with that, I'm going to wrap it up. And Thank you for listening. And here we go with the. Let's see if I can play this here. Mind your ears as I try to give you the exit music. Pretty girl, beware of his heart of gold. Go, not go. Here we go. Pretty girl, beware of his heart of gold. There we go. This heart is cold. He loves only gold. <laughs>